Hello and welcome to the LOB series of Coaching Room. And um, we were doing the first show about technical periodization and, and a man's name kept on popping up and um, he seemed to be the the, the one that, that everyone was referencing and it's um, Dr. Fergus Connolly. Fergus is one of the, the most experienced experts in elite team performance. Uh, he's worked with leading CEOs, professional sports teams, including Bolton, Liverpool, uh, in the NFL, San Francisco 49ers, um, in college, uh, American football, Michigan Wolverines. Uh, and it's also, Fergus as well, you were a prominent in the dairy or the uh, sorry, Dublin senior football team working with Jim Gavin. I think it was a consultancy. <clears throat> you were brought in there as well. Uh, you work with special forces units. I've got the list here in front of me. You've got athletes in many disciplines around the world. Author of two books, Game Changer and Fifty Nine Lessons, and you're from Monaghan. So I I, I, it's, it's, it's an amazing <laughs> if, array. If it, if I'd known you were going to read all of that out, um, the most I, actually I'm from Scotstown. That's the that's the most important part. <laughs> the most I'm from uh, Fergus, by the, by the, by the grace by the grace of God, Scotstown. It's a, it's an amazing um, story. I've I've been doing a bit of research on you, and you know, listen to your podcasts and the interviews that you've done in the past, and it, like for a teacher in computers i think it was or something that got mm -hmm. how did this all come about that now you're one of the leading experts in uh, team performance well first of all whether i'm the leading expert or not is debatable but for, for me it was just a journey um i started playing gaelic football i was about 16 so it was a little bit later to to football we had moved and i remember uh, I still exactly know standing on a standing on a hill with my father. Um, we had uh, spuds in the garden. It's late at night, and I'm asking him, "Can I go and play football?" All the, all of my mates are playing football, and they're playing in the town. And he said, "Well, you, you you're not in the town parish. I'll have to take you out to this place called Scotstown." I was going, "I want to play with my friends in the town." And he was going, "No, no, no, son. Listen, Scotstown. You, you don't understand. Scotstown is a better place for you to go." <laughs> And so I ended up going out playing with these kids, these strangers in Scotland. And it wasn't good. It was not good at all. It took me a long time to pick up the game. But one thing that, that I learned out there was, um, you know, the value, the importance of hard work and um, the importance of pushing yourself beyond what you think you're capable, capable of. I was still to this day incredibly fortunate to have had uh, role models out there, uh, still are role models to me. Miners, McCarville, Sherry's, uh, Mulligans, and um, they just set the bar. And if I wanted to play football, I was going to have to do what they had done. And I would pester these older guys in the locker room about, you know, how did you know how did you get how do you improve your speed? How do you improve your fitness? What, what do you do in the in the off season? Um, like I mean, Fergus Coffey was telling me about how he would play squash, you know, even when he was in England, when they went over to help with power lines, he learned, you know, found out about squash, he would use squash. Then other guys would tell me stories about him when he did his cruciate about him cycling uh, his bike up the mountain. But in order to force himself not to sit down, he used to take the saddle off the bike, stuff like that. Uh, another guy, Sean Mulligan, used to go running up more mountains up right by the border. So he used to try and follow him. So he'd go for two hour runs 
like the, but that was the standard that was the example like uh tom mine that played for monon for years like i mean he would come back from the states and he would tell me about you know the you know what it took and how to survive as well and because these boys played in the 80s you know when men were men and so you had to learn those lessons if i wanted to play and and i did and i was just incredibly fortunate to be surrounded by just like leaders you know giants of men like we were talking before on air about you know the great down teams well i was fortunate to have men like that in my club you know locker room and um you know they they had still like i say to this day uh, i'm incredibly grateful for the lessons they taught me was every generation through every county needs a generation they got as we were saying about the down team like uh what they done for down football in my my era was was incredible like well not just your era like i mean i was i was saying to you my father like we got in the car and drove you know and i, I told you speaking with pete mcgrath not so long ago and i was telling them pete like i don't know how long that what is that that's over it's almost 30 years ago like i mean i got in the car and we drove over to see that down team come across the border with sam mcguire because back then you know by the 90s like i mean we hadn't seen sam mcguire hadn't come into ulster and uh what that meant for ulster football like people forget like i mean the what the 80s were like mm-hmm. you know um you know yes monon had good teams in the 80s but just didn't get across the line down did um neighbors would come to the house and i had to listen to stories about you know the lennons the mccartons and, and you know like of the great the old great down teams and about how they played football and uh and actually for a long time was it joe lennon had a book a small little white book on football do you remember that there was one book and uh i had that book like i mean i'd pull that apart you know trying to learn how to get better i just wanted to get better and uh you know i would do anything uh run the roads run hills used to have a hill beside us used to run used to run up it with a, a we had an old army bag and i had a half a concrete block in it and would run up sprint up the hill i like i didn't know what i was doing but i just knew that i had to get better if was i wanted first, to play was that first then put into your coaching Fergus? like is that where well know? i think i think i was i was so bad you know <laughs> starting out that i wanted to do whatever it took to get better and and the only way was to try and read and study like i mean so like i mean one year i wouldn't be my endurance like i always struggled with endurance so i'd try and read okay what what do endurance runners do like and so you'd read a little bit about this thing called an interval running or fart like running okay another year that my speed was was poor because i yes i was leaner but i didn't have that step so okay so what what do i need to so who are the best sprint coaches out there and uh you know i used we used to buy uh, we used to buy the um, the Sunday newspapers, and you know, I would always go and pick up uh, the Independent. And then, if I had money when I was younger, I would always grab like the Sunday Times. I just pull out the sports section, not that I wanted to read the political section of the <laughs> Sunday Times, but I, I would pull out the sports section to find the interviews with, you know, the great athletes or the, And I would look for names. I would try and I, I just wanted to read what were they doing, like what was their diet like. And half of the stuff that you read today anyway is nonsense. But back then you might see the name of a coach. And I want to know who was that coach? Like what, what, what were they doing? And I would do anything to get better because I had to, I had to. And that, and then <clears throat> I think it was about 27, got a Gilmore's groin tore, 
uh, rip that. Uh, like, I mean, you get a hamstring injury, so you'd, okay, how, what, how do you get over a hamstring injury? Uh, Gilmore's groin. And so by the time I got towards my 30s, you know, at, at college and stuff, you know, uh, my career, I could see my, my illustrious career was coming to an end. But I just always had an interest then in, in humans. And I was at college then in the University of Limerick. I had done, my degree was in construction woodwork teaching. It was just fortunate. They had this first sports science program was down there. And I'd thought about, like, I mean, I wanted, I was thinking about, do I want to become a PE teacher? But at the time, 16, 17, I thought, you know what? This sport, this, um, this is the truth. I remember thinking this sports thing is going to, you've borne itself out by the time I get to my 30s. Not going to want to be involved in it. And here I'm at 43, still, you know, working sport but anyway i thought i'd go do teaching stayed on did a phd and whatever but i would just read study everything about sprinting endurance uh health psychology and it was just a passion of mine and then like i told you like i mean i reached out to pete mcgregor's number from somewhere and you know people like him mick o'dwyer uh you know ger hartman and limerick like i mean Anybody who's in who's the first person you, you, you made contact with to have a chat with, or can you even remember? Um, might have been Mikko because when I was in Limerick for a bit, Mikko came to train a team, a transfer to, to Mona Lane for a year. So Mikko came up to do something with us, and so I don't think I was training that day, or maybe I was, but as I all I remember was, um, we had tea and sandwiches from afterwards in the clubhouse. And I got him in a headlock. Like, I got him in the corner, and it was just questions. Like, I mean, anybody like that who has met me probably has PTSD from, you know, I just wanted to, I would ask them questions about, you know, about Tom Spillane and, and you know, how they played and, you know, uh, Liston and Jack Owens, you know, what what did they do? How did they manage it? Uh, there was a guy called Aidan Keane from Cork, uh, and he... Um, uh, I remember I would just pester him for stories about Larry Tompkins. You know, that was another guy that, um, and, uh, and to be honest with you, probably one of the biggest influences outside of my own club was Larry Tompkins. Like, I mean, the training that he did, um, the stories about, like he was one of the first people who I knew that, you know, lifted weights and was weight training. So I would go, there's a funny story, actually, Declan Lockman played for Blaney. Um, I played against him. And he was, wasn't a particularly, well, he's, he was, he was a tall guy, but he was very, very strong. I remember asking some of the guys, you know, what, like he's, he's strong. And somebody said, oh yeah, he must be lifting weights. And he had a sports store. And so I assumed that Lockman, you know, Lockie was lifting weights. And, and anyway, so I started weight training, like an animal. And years later, I remember meeting him in Monaghan and he was asking, how did, how did you start? getting into weight training and that. I said, well, it was because of you, because you were lifting weights. So Fergie said, I never lifted a weight in my life. And I was going, well, <laughs> there you go. But like, I mean, you'd read, like I had, a, I still think I have it. A, there was a brilliant article in the independent about Tompkins, about him doing his ACL, about doing his hamstring, about the training that he was doing. And uh, like I say, I would read those, pick up on clues. Um, you know, again, you know, you watch Tompkins playing and, you know, just the way in which he played, the style uh, of play. And then again, you had down teams and, 
and then there was there was that documentary like i mentioned of that first down team to win the all ireland and seeing them running mountains so well we got you know, the Mourn mountains we got the bragging mountains way out out we go let's do it i would i would just no 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 plan or sense to yeah. it but like <laughs> just whatever it took no you've seen the the the, the down team training in restraver like and you were just you know and the, the best thing was pete was i think was beating half of them up the mountain so <laughs> probably there was a few big men there was a few big men like i mean I, I thank god i'm an american i can say this but like i mean gregory uh greg mccarton um paul higgins like those were you know those were big men you know sprinting up a mountain like i mean that that would have been tough you know <laughs> that, that, i don't know what the sports scientists would have said now about it but you know then i suppose like it was a different time different era it was and you know now guys don't have much of an off season so it's harder for them to get out of shape i guess you'd, you'd more you've more games now so it's different and uh you know it, there was there was a place for it um and there there is a mental component to it like i mean sometimes i think we we go too far into being too scientific about it and, and we don't push guys you know there's a balance there there is a balance and you can always get better but uh you know there's no doubt that uh like it, to be honest with you the fittest team i ever saw was and still to this day the purely fittest team i ever saw was the dairy 93 team like i mean you know their half their half back line was the greatest scoring threat that they had you know i remember i was in crow park one time and end of went down injured and derry guy goes behind so there's half or there's half our forwards out you know what i mean like you mean you had him and brawley in the court like no disrespect to seamus downey and some of those other players but um you had Dermot mcnichol um like you had, you had great footballers but that half back line henry downey um gary coleman played i know he played in the corner but he i think he started maybe at half back mm-hmm. uh you had uh mccork then um like they were just a constant threat they were supremely fit uh that's th- that in my opinion it was the fittest team i've ever seen just on just when you're talking about the fitness levels and that where do you think the j player is now in terms of fitness capacity and and is there any room for them to get any fitter because you know the training levels now seems to be through the roof um i, I think fitness is a fitness is a really difficult question i i would almost argue and this is going to sound wrong and I, again i haven't been involved directly with the team for mm-hmm. you know many years since dublin's first one but i would almost argue that you know that team wouldn't have been as fit for example as the 93 dairy team um in terms of fitness now when you when you watch them play it might appear like that but pound for pound like just in, if you took them out and ran them i'm not so sure yeah. would would i argue that they perhaps could play the game a little bit faster yes so th- that's where I, I think and i think that you know before um you know, games were as available on TV. Like you had to go and watch teams play, you know, live. And I don't think we do that enough. I think when you go and watch a team play live, you see and you watch the player. Don't watch the ball, watch the player. I think it gives you a different perspective. And the seamlessness of a team can sometimes make it appear as though they're fitter. Um, and so I, the answer the answer to your question is I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I would, you know, I would say I wouldn't say that they're, you know, a, a lot 
a lot fitter. But again, I, I, you know, it's just a subjective uh, observation. Whenever you went then and was it you were asking about players and how, what they did, when did it turn into the coaches then that you were looking to get um, meeting coaches and seeing what they were doing and and the structures and and the the methodology that they were using then. So I started then looking, well, I was always looking beyond Ireland um, to learn, like trying to steal stuff from rugby, from soccer, uh, from, you know, American football. And, you know, I, I would just used to have an envelope and I would say, put my money in, an, in a big paper envelope and save it. And when I had enough money to hop on a plane, I'd go and travel and see who I could go and visit. Like, you mean, down New Zealand um, at Easter one time, spent two weeks with Canterbury Crusaders. And like, you mean, you walk into the locker room and they got 14 All Blacks and to try and learn. And the funny thing was their strength coach, Ashley Jones, get, get down with him. And I, I brought him a gift. He brought him a statue of, a small statue of, the Cullen statue that's in the GPO and we were talking and he said uh he said my family's from Ireland and I said oh seriously and he said yeah he said they're from a place called Carrick Macross I said Carrick Macross that's only 10-15 minutes from us at home I said and his great-grandfather and so we struck up a, a, a great relationship and um you know the funny thing was he would play Gaelic football with them in the off season and um and so you would learn things from them about, and it was what was really interesting for me, which was eye-opening was, and it was, guess, a somewhat of a secret. You could read all you wanted to read, but when you would go and visit, you got a completely different impression of what was being done and why it was being done. Like one, I'll give you an example. One was like, I mean, they would, even in the warm-up, they would play, you know, rugby, but you could pass the ball forward or they'd play Gaelic football in the off season. And, everything I had read was you should never do that because now you're training skills that, <laughs> and I would ask him why. And he would go, well, it makes him turn. It does this and this. So it started to open my eyes to, there's not just one way of doing things and to always have a critical mind um, and to think and to challenge. But if you can justify the reason and you know why you just shouldn't follow things blindly. Mm -hmm. um, and the other thing too, is like people like him were incredibly, uh, encouraging to me because I, I would, you know, truthfully, like, who was I? I had no sports science degree, I had no physiology degree, I had no uh, physical education background. I was just somebody who wanted to learn. Um, and I was, you know, I guess an imposter syndrome. Um, you know, like there was a, I guess a, there were a lot of those things were going through my head, but um, those guys they didn't care. Mm -hmm. They wanted to win. Um, if they could learn from you as well, which was the other thing, you know, they would say also, um, you want to visit this coach. What would you learn from him? Would you give us a short presentation on that, you know, next week? Um, yeah, sure. Be delighted to, um, like I remember the all blacks were playing, the lions went down to, to play the all blacks. And I remember I got an email one day from Ashley about cryotherapy because he wanted to know how to use it. And he knew that I'd looked into it and, um, studied it. And then a few days later, I got an email from the head of the Lions, Craig White, and he wanted to know about jet lag, you know, and, and so these guys knew that I had a passion for it, but I was very interested, not in the science, but I was interested in how do you apply it? Mm -hmm. so I give you the best protocol, but I would always say, look, 
this is what the science says, but these are the other things you need to consider. Um, and how did it, how did it work? And I, I loved it. Like, I mean, guys would, or, you know, Fergus, we're, we've got four guys struggling with sleep here. What, what does the literature say? I used to send back an email, give me 24 hours. <laughs> I'd stay up all night, like a lunatic. Be reading and everything, studying, but I loved it. Like you mean, I just I loved it because that was what interested me. And I was like I say, I wasn't playing, or maybe hanging on, but um, it was just a passion of mine. Still is to this day. Um, I just want to know how to make better humans. Well, you know, my uh, resentment and jealousy is you know bubbling here, and, and I'm, I hope hopefully it's not coming across because. <laughs> I went down the sports science route and the sports management route of um, trying to get, trying to do what you're doing now. But, you know, even from having the audacity, maybe even to contact, as you said, not having no sports background or anything, to go and ask, can I come along this session? Can I pick your brains on, on your theories and that there as well? Yeah. Um, I met a guy at a conference one time and I don't know how I ended up with it. It was a Charles Polygon conference. Remember, I didn't even have enough money to go to it. And, and guy John Connery said to me, listen, um, if you want to come up and help us set up, set up, we've got all this equipment coming. And he said, you can, you can come for free. And he, and he did. And I'm very grateful. But there's a guy at the conference who had worked with an English rugby team. And again, you know, a pot, as the guy, guys would say, a pothole him. He got stuck with me and badgering him. And he said, he said, look, you, you know, if you, you, are you serious about learning? I said, yes. He said, you got to go and visit people. You got to go and visit people. And it was the best piece of advice I ever got. And I sit, tell it to people now, like people sit, sit at home, like you reaching out to me, like, I mean, people sometimes are afraid to ask. Mm -hmm. And I've only ever been refused by one guy. Mm -hmm. I won't name him, but um, I've only ever, like, you mean, uh, Clive Woodward, somebody put me in touch with Clive and it, um, you know, and this was back after England, England won the World Cup. And like, um, somebody had linked me in on, on an email with them. So I followed up and I said, hey, Clive, listen, I'm, I'm going to be in London. Or I don't know if I was going to even, maybe I lied. I said, hey, I'm going to be in London on this, these dates or something. I said, listen, would you have time to meet? And uh, um, yeah, like, you I mean, sure, Fergus, uh, this date, this time, this place. See you then. Turned up. And the guy sat with me for two hours and just answered questions, had coffee and uh, breakfast in his office. And the guy, he couldn't have been, like Clive Woodward would not have been the most popular man in England, in Ireland at the time. <laughs> Actually, he might have been the most popular man in England at the time as well. He's decided, but like, I can't say a bad word about him. You know, he, he just sat and was open and uh, just humble. Um, like, I mean, I still remember he told me, Fergus said, do you know every single one of our coaches was a teacher? I said, no. And he went through all of the coaches that he had. Like, I mean, they'd all had teaching background, uh, spoke to me about psychologists as well, why he felt that, you know, the coaches should themselves have more psychological training, not necessarily a psychologist. Um, all of these lessons that I learned from, from him and, and people like him and, um, just a lot of people are the people are good people do want to, to share and um and it wasn't don't get don't get the impression it was all just take 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 it was you know i had questions uh i was happy to share it was just respectful i guess like very respectful because again i didn't have anything to stand on um 
I just wanted to learn. Like I really wanted to to learn more about how to make humans perform in whatever field it was going to be. And yeah, just uh, I didn't have a plan. People obviously, you know, what was your plan? What was your, and didn't have a plan. It was just wanted to learn. I suppose that's the best way to be because God knows like where it takes you then. And it's not if something happens off the cuff, it's not a disappointment or it's not uh, I have to get back on track here. You know, the, the way you've jumped from sports as well. Yeah, well, that again, that wasn't necessarily by design. Like, I mean, I was at Bolton Wanderers and the coach changed, so I get fired and or well, we all got let go. And, and uh, so then next thing was uh, someone that the Welsh rugby team reached out to me. They wanted to look more at sports science, figured I was the you know, the, again, that was somebody I'd visited before at Leicester Tigers, and they thought, okay, let's get this guy in, give him a shot. Actually, they, and they'd been down training in Wicklow, so I went down to visit them, and anyway, ended up working with them. But uh, I remember at the time thinking, I don't want to work in rugby, don't know anything about it. My very first game was sitting on the sideline at the with the Welsh rugby team, we're playing the All Blacks above all people. Like, I mean, that was my, I'd never been at a rugby game before from Scottsdale, you play rugby in modern you know what i mean um tommy Bo- tommy Bo will kill me i remember tommy Bo said to me one time <laughs> he's in, so how the hell did you end up here we, we like both of us met in wales right, and yeah. um but like again it was um you know moving to rugby didn't like it didn't want to be but then it's because it was i was gonna have to learn something new but it dawned on me that it's still the same person and it's still an athlete playing a sport stop looking at it from a very specialist perspective and look at the principles and that was a really important moment for me where i realized it sounds obvious maybe but the athlete is it's like keys on a piano you're playing a different tune but all the keys are still the same you still use the same person athlete yes but to play a different tune and so I, I realized, okay, what are the principles that are common? And so then from rugby again, then back to soccer, then to the NFL, um, basketball, even same with the military. Um, it's still the same, same person. And that will never change. Even, and at the start, so I looked at it from a physical perspective. And then I realized, well, when you're teaching a skill, the skill, the teaching of the skill is still the same, same methodology. Now, the actual skill would be different, but the principles still apply. Psychology actually is the exact same. The stresses are the same. And I looked at, started to study more and more about tactics and realized, well, the, the core principles are still the same there as well. And so it just, again, it was more a case of having, I don't know if it's a positive outlook, but more of a solution finding approach to you know to progressing and to to making a difference i suppose like every team sport the underlying issue is to win the game and mm-hmm. you know is that whenever you were just saying about you're looking into the tactical part of it as well you know, was that the driving force then that you were thinking this can be used in all, every single sport is we're gonna to, to win this game the next one and the next one yeah and I think as well, um, again, a lot of it just comes from from my background or upbringing was uh, it's about solving a problem. And it's not about fo- it's not about finding out 
what the research says or what the science says or what it's not that's not the starting point the starting point is first of all identify what the real challenge is and then find out how to solve that problem a lot of people when they get a problem they they look at what somebody else doing and they try and copy that my approach is always what's the problem and it can be different so you know if you take over a team yes you can look at what other people are doing but that's not going to help you I use the example, like I mean, of the New England Patriots. Everybody looks at them and goes, oh, what are they doing? And what are they doing now? Well, you can't copy what Bill Belichick's doing now. You've got to go back and look at what, what did he start doing when he took over the team and get on that pathway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you can't go from zero to 60. You, you've got to figure out. So you've got to problem solve and get good at solving problems. And the first part of that is like being brutally honest, like, I mean, yeah, you just can't go out and play like Dublin from the start if you're nowhere near them. You got to start out and you know build a system that suits. And as well as that, one of the really important things a lot of people forget is the culture of your environment. So down football, for example, have a style, have always had a style. Swashbuckling, it's fast. It's got a physical edge to it. You you can't change the culture of a, a, a you know that they're coming from. Now, if you go to Kerry, it's a different style of play. So if you were coaching Kerry, you have to respect that tradition and culture. You have to improve on it, but you can't, you have to respect, you know, the environment that people come from. Um, And that was something that became uh, very apparent to me. Like, I mean, if you go to Dutch football, you just can't change a nation's mentality. It's the same with any club or any group. You have to respect it, figure out what it is and solve the problem with respect to the talent and mindset that you have. There's subtle things, but you know, you, we all know cases of coaches who come into a club trying to impose something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How did that work out for you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't coach very long, but <laughs> Fergus, whenever, so we were talking about tactical periodization in, in the show before, and you know, I think you met with the great man as well. And, and, you know, really delved into um you know having that game game model um at the at the at the apex of, of everything that's that's being done then yeah so uh one of the things that became apparent to me working um it, it was always there but it just kept rearing its head was that you know i started out really looking at things from a physical perspective because i thought okay it's about fitness and it's about okay what well then we're fit but okay it's about strength it's about speed and slowly became apparent like you mean at the basis is how you play the game and your game intelligence and your skill but it all comes together and somewhere along the line this name vitor friday kept popping up and uh bumped into one of his students one time and uh, reached out to him a few times actually and eventually got in contact because he doesn't speak English mm-hmm. and uh, and he, he actually like I said he just sent me an email um, somebody, somebody must have translated from but he just sent me an email actually to say he's right he has written a book in English and wanted to send me a copy of it and but anyway I get in contact with him fly over to Portugal still remember the hotel in Porto and, and uh, he, like I mean I don't know I spent a week with him and he, I had to get a translator we're sitting there. I remember, I, I remember one time translator had to go to the restroom and we just sit looking at each other, for, you know, for about 
seven or eight minutes. And I remember him looking at me and he said something in Portuguese. Basically, you don't speak any Portuguese, I guess. So we're saying, and he said, no, and we couldn't even write. And uh, the translator comes back and we start again, you know, and uh, a lovely, absolute gentleman, incredibly bright. And again, like it's happened so many times in my career, I, I had read a lot about what I thought it was. I had worked with coaches who thought they were doing it. Um, and I showed him what we were doing. And I remember he, he just shook his head and he laughed actually at some of the, uh, some of our interpretation of what, and, and, you know, we sat down and went through why and what he was doing. And I remember showing him what I was doing with other teams. And he, he, he was just shaking his head, not even just in terms of tactical periodization, but also like the data and the numbers. And he was going, oh, you're basically, you're approaching a problem from the wrong way. And it's more about looking at the person as a whole and how they interact. And again, he was one of the people saying, like, I mean, you have to allow people to express themselves. And, um, you know, he took me down to show me the kids and how he, how he was involved even with Porto and the kids level and how they were learning to play the game and how he was essentially, you know, and I, I use the word to describe it. He was facilitating their development. He wasn't directing them. He was facilitating. So he would, you know, they know how kids know how to play the game. So rather than telling them what to do, he might, you know, uh, maybe widen the pitch, shorten the pitch, add an extra player. Um, but he would do it in a way that they just kept playing the game and he would just manipulate conditions or, you know, rest periods or whatever it might be. But the goal was not, the goal was, and again, this is my interpretation of it, the goal was to develop instinct and habit without actually invasively saying something because now you the player is doing things without thinking and so you've sped up that it's like i just chatting with bernard dunn yesterday but i mean from boxing perspective you don't want people to think you know consciously think because that slows down things you want them to act on instinct like um you know that's why dublin are so dominant at the minute that they can react um, within game scenarios and, and you know, they've been um, almost programmed, I know what you're saying about, but they're programmed to know whenever things are changing in a game. I think, yes. And I think one of the things as well, like, again, you look at, and again, I haven't, you know, I, I, I don't know what this current management doing. I can only speak to, you mm. know, Jim was there, but, um, you know, at that stage, you've got five, great years so you're looking at a team that's very experienced and have seen so many different scenarios and understand how to adapt to what's what's happening in front of them um and again it you really the best people at the highest level in anything in every single sport i've been around they're really acting on instinct and the amount of times they actually have to consciously pause and think is limited but because everything has been so fluid, they're fresher mentally to do that, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, I played with a guy called Ray McCarn and Ray, I don't know, Ray was, Ray used to joke he was 50 when he was playing, but like he wasn't that old, but Ray had one foot, he had left foot. And like, I mean, the number of times you would fall for this dummy, you know, on his right foot, so that he could come onto his left, but he was doing it so instinctively and he was operating at such a higher level it didn't matter the kids could be fitter, faster coming up against him. But he was, again, he was acting on instinct. We were pausing to think and it was over. 
he had sold the dummy, he was on it, and he was just jogging away laughing at you. <laughs> you know, like, so, but when you think back to these things, you start to see how you'd need tact on instinct. And um, at the higher level, then when you talk about a team environment, um, you have an ability to, to recognize what your teammate is doing. Because now when you've perfected how you play, you're, you've got a greater awareness for your teammate who you've been playing with now for a number of years. Um, it's the same It's the same with uh, like in a hostage rescue. Guys have done the, the operation so many times together. When one guy starts to move slightly to the left, the other guy, almost it almost seems your brain actually, your brain actually does predict, it, but it, it starts to recognize his shape shadow, might be just a slight movement. And you, you automatically, without thinking, know what he's going to do and that's what starts to happen at that highest level so when you see teams that are so fluid it's they have played at a very high level at a very high speed um with a great emotional presence the emotional thing is important because in order for you to build instinct the person has to be present so um try not to to get make this too technical but for the memories that are richest in your mind are usually ones that had a, a huge emotional uh, importance to you and by that that means you are a heightened sense so that's what you're trying to train in, in your players you want, so the drills or the game small-sided games need to be short and tense so that you can concentrate and you it's at high speed. Um, and you can give them lots of rest in between. Now, if you look at the Dublin team after five years of playing in very emotionally charged games alongside a teammate, you know what he's going to do. You know how he's going to react. Like you're a full back, the ball's going over your head to the corner back. As he's moving towards it, you know how he's going to approach it. Now, if I asked you, if I asked the full back, why did you take the step? He couldn't tell you. Yeah. Yeah. But he knows what, you know, Johnny Cooper, you know, you're jogging, you know how Johnny's going to approach the ball. You've seen it so many times, but you've seen it at such a high emotional level that it's registered in. And so you're, you start to instinctively cover behind him if you know that the ball's going to, those kind of things. And what was your remit then whenever you met Jim Gavin then to, I think he was under 20s manager whenever you met him and he was, he was taking the Dublin um, then Fergus. Met Jim at a hotel uh, along Liffey. It was Bernard Dunn set it up. Uh, first, it was just coffee and just a chat. And um, I, I didn't know, you know, I, I obviously remember watching him play. The thing that impressed me about Jim Galvin was um, the number of questions he asked. And again, I'm sitting there going, why did, you know, Jim Galvin's won all Ireland's. I haven't done that. You know, we won a national title with Derry, all right. But that was about it um, before. But um, with Jim, I was really impressed with how he was looking at stats and how he was how he was looking at like he was innovative in innovative is the word that's thrown around he was just doing it in a different way and it wasn't that it was brilliant it was that he was trying you're coming up with a way to solve problem he was looking at how the ball's moved he was putting it in front of me and i was going okay yeah um and i said have you thought of doing it have you thought of this have you thought of this um but i was really impressed with his humility like he was asking questions. Uh, and then he, he would send me stats 
or you, uh, you know, I was working with Liverpool, I think at the time. So he would send me the, you know, the, the report after the game. And I would just send him a commentary back going, look, based on what you've sent me, this is what I see. I haven't seen the game. I wasn't even watching the film at the time. Mm-hmm. Does it, does this make sense? Cause this is what appears to be happening. And he would come back and forth with me. Yeah. Um, and so then uh, we were having dinner for Kenny Douglas. She was leaving and um, phone rang, went down, called him back. And he told me that um, I mean, Paul Caffrey, I think had resigned and he was thinking of going forward for the job and uh, he'd like to have me involved. And uh, I thought, yeah, that, that, I'll have a bit of that. You know, it, um, I was going, yeah. Like, I mean, he, cause he met, he told me like the people that he was getting involved, like, I mean, he, he was going to bring Bernard in. Bernard Dunn, uh, Martin Kennedy was going to be over fitness, um, who I had known, like, I think he's with the IRFU now, but just a great, great guy, great coach, uh, Deegan Darcy, who I hadn't met. And so, um, we go and we meet and, um, and I, I just love, I, I, it's probably, it's the best group of coaches I've been around hands down. Like Deegan and Darcy, like, I mean, just incredible people. They're just great, great humans. And, you know, these guys have, again, are legends of football, but the conversations and the arguments and the debates were brilliant. Like, we'd argue over things, but at the end of every argument, like, there was just the mutual respect. They knew that we we just wanted to get the best result for uh, W. Shane O'Hanlon in there as well. And, you know, just the combination was brilliant. There was not There was no ego. Um, it was about finding the best solution. And like many times you'd walk out of a meeting and like, you know, you'd feel like Deegan or Darcy's hand on your shoulder going, you, um, you know, I disagree with you on that, but you know where I was coming from. I go, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that was, those were special moments because you were arguing, you're defending your point. And then you'd go, you know, actually, you know what you, you know, you're right. You're right about that or vice versa. Um, what do you, what, what do you would think? Have been, would have been, what would have been a, a like a, a topic of, of where you're, a heated debate would have been, Fergus? Like what was it over team selection or was it, um, you know, the, the, the week leading up to a match, the training schedule or anything like that? Yeah, but the type of drills and how to put things together and what we needed to work on, um, why maybe we were struggling at this or what, what, we, what was important. Um, yeah, but certain players, like, I mean, d- did we need to do this or how to manage certain players? Um, uh, just all of those, everything was on the table. And again, it goes back to Jim Gavin, like, I mean, just incredibly humble. It, it was have a conversation, but ultimately he was the boss and he would make, he would make the call. And we all knew that, but everybody got their say and it was it was important and there were more people than that involved, but it was like, it was great because like I said, Declan Darcy has his experience. McDegan has his in Jim, Shane O'Hanlon, like you. And again, here I am the youngest of them all that, you know, haven't played the game at all at their level, but it was, these are the thoughts. These are things you're throwing into this mm-hmm. pot. And that's the way coaching should be. And it was, none of us cared about, who was right. It was about getting the, the best, you know, decision and you backed, you know, it, it wasn't even heated. Like, I mean, it was just, you knew that you were going to get your say, uh, everybody's going to listen. And, you know, you, you know, guys would say, yeah, no, no, actually I'm wrong on that. No, you're right. 
or I hadn't thought of that. Good point. Yeah, no, that that was the way it went. Just whenever we're talking about Dublin and um, you know, obviously they're the, the dominant force in in GA now. Do you think that you could go to a top four, top five team now and? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, I'm, 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 I'm waiting every day for a letter from from Mayo County Board. No, like um, you know, I I don't know. I I wouldn't I wouldn't say that. Like I mean, I, I wouldn't be that arrogant or anything. Like I mean, but uh, I think that you know the question you're asking. Like I mean, we sat down and I, I remember I still have the slides. Was looking at the money a few months ago, but still have the slides of what I call red teaming where you sit down and go, okay, how do, how do I beat Dublin? Like at the end of one season. Presentation because it was guys, this is how I would beat Dublin. And uh, we had a good, argue, good debate over that because I was trying to poke and it was hard to do because it's hard because you, you know, everybody thinks they're, was it Alex Ferg? No, it was Arsene Fenger said, everybody thinks they got the prettiest wife at home. You know, you think that your team is is unbeatable, but you have to go. Okay, how would I beat us? Like, what do we, what do we need to prepare for? Because that that's that person is the most dangerous person, the person who recognizes their strengths and their limitations, and can not necessarily hide them, but can protect them. And if you go up against a player who, for example, knows that they've got a weak side or whatever, but you can't figure it out or you can't see it, that's dangerous. But they do, and they know how to prepare for that. And that was that was the goal was to, okay, what what areas like how did we concede? You're looking for patterns, and the the really really important point about that is, you can't do it just through stats. People think, oh, you can look at. You know, no, you can't. You, you have to watch the game. You have to look for patterns or subtleties. We're doing with humans, not machines. Yes, if I'm working for, and like my, you know, my master's was in manufacturing. I know all about simulation, statistics, analysis, prediction. Yes, in machines, not in humans. And you certainly can't do it with, you know, 15 players in a game running around a field with a guy in, in black trying to screw the game up as well. And then 30 guys trying to stop you. Like, you mean, you can't do it. That's not to say that numbers aren't interesting, but you got, but you cannot just watch the numbers alone. Like, I mean, that's why when Jim would send me the charts, graphs, and numbers, I would say, Jim, this is what appears to be happening based on what you've sent me. I don't know what's the game. Does this make sense? Or is this, is this a trend? It wasn't, this is, it was questions. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I used to get sent stats from different, I just laugh to be honest. Still, even the NFL teams, I could still, I get, you know, stats from the training stats and GPS stats and, you know, I might as well be, <laughs> I don't believe what you say, looking at a field of officials. Like, I mean, it, it alone makes, it makes no sense. Yes. You know, you have to, you have to watch the game. Mm -hmm. um, you you got to get, you got to get up off your ass, go watch the game. There's one thing Vitor Frade said to me as well. And actually, interestingly, he used to say, never sit in the middle of the field. He used to, Say sit slightly off center so that you could see the not just the length of the field but see the depth. Mm -hmm. So see how they move the ball diagonally as well in with a better. So you're not just things aren't just moving laterally, mm -hmm. um, which is just yeah. We used to try and do that. I'd watch the game at uh, twice speed, mm -hmm. but I would watch the players then at like individuals at half speed. 
because what tends to happen sometimes is you, if you, if you just watch the game, you get caught up in the personalities and you get caught up in the number and you get caught up in the whoever, but it was more about watching the flow and the patterns and looking for the habit and the instinct that the player has that they don't even realize. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they don't notice or that, the, and I'm talking about a group of players that they, you know, so this, for example, side of the field always tend to move the ball like this. And it's not, something's not clear, but if you watch it at, if you're watching the game at twice speed or double speed, those things start to become more apparent. You see the ball move there. Okay. It's moving that way. That's what starts to stand out to you. Mm-hmm. But then to watch the player for small technique things. With the, um, the NFL and, you know, the way they look at the game as well, they've got their offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator. They set up on a stand. Are you surprised that more GA, um, Managers and coaches don't take the stand, and as you say, you know they're they're bang on on the halfway line. It's like going back to I was speaking about Feeder Friday. Like every time you intervene, you take ownership from the player, mm-hmm. from the players. And there's a great quote, Graham Henry. I was another guy, a badgered. He used to <laughs> joke with Graham Henry after games against Wales, like you're going on to play England. Hey, just from one Irish man to a New Zealander, make sure you put up a score. And he used to wink at me and, and laugh. He said, "Yes, we'll we'll do our best." But he he used to talk about with the the uh, you know with the All Blacks. It, the beautiful time for, for him was when something was happening on the field, and he would see the players take ownership and make the change without them. If you keep intervening, and uh, you know, it, it used to find it amusing, like with Dublin, you, you, you know, against some teams, you'd have uh, managers or more, uh, you know, running onto the field and Christ, like, I mean, you, you just smile because you know, okay, they're, first of all, the panic from the sideline now is filtering through the players. And it might only be subtle, or they're trying to make changes and panicking. So they've not allowed this team to take ownership of, you know, their own decisions. Now, when something goes catastrophically wrong or the score's not looking too good with five minutes to go, they're not looking at each other and they're not problem solving. They're looking to the sideline for direction. You don't want to interfere. Again, you want people to stay in. If you want to call it the zone or whatever, problem solve. Let them run it out. And if you've practiced that enough, for example, in training, you practice enough during the league and sat down afterwards with them and going, okay, guys, yeah, they got this right, you got this wrong, and reinforce it. Then come championship. It's it games that early on, and when I was there, you won late in the game because players had ownership. They knew what they had to do. Right. Um, and that was that was really important, you know? Where do you think the state of coaching is at the GA um, at the minute, Fergus? You know, the obviously there's not too many uh, coaching courses, and I mean, like you know, you've got the level one, level two, level three. Um, is there something else that could be involved now? Uh, I see more counties are doing, and, and provinces are doing workshops, but surely there's a market for you know more in depth. Um, thinking and, and challenging concepts? Uh, possibly. I'm, I'm always, early on in my career, was, you know, always critical of things and I've even just getting older or more mature. But um, I think, you know, there are a lot of good coaches trying to do the right thing. And uh, so I, I'm slow to be critical. And again, I haven't been home and I haven't done anything in, Gaelic football for a long time, so I'm not in a great position to speak about the current state. But I would say that even, or I shouldn't say even, I'm always looking at how can I get better and what can I do. 
I have systems, philosophies, concepts, ideas, but I'm the first to tell you that I'm always looking to improve them. So whatever I've done, you know, two, three years ago, I would hope I've gotten better. Nothing's gospel. And anybody who, you know, has either read anything or anything I present, I always tell them, take it and break it, make it better, argue. And, and I think so long as coaches are doing that and they're trying to get better, because if you go into a meeting or a presentation and it becomes about ego and people trying to say my ways, you don't get, you never get to the position of actually figuring out the solution. You know, it's about, it becomes a battle of egos and having one system or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think if you've got coaching courses or you've got workshops where, you know, somebody's demonstrating something and they're explaining why they're doing it, but they're open to new ideas and going, look, I do it this way because, and this is what I'm trying to get from it. And if somebody says, well, have you thought of doing this? That's what you want. Like I want people to, um, you know, to go, well, why are you doing it like that? And um, I think so long as you have that in, in groups, and people are willing to learn and be critical thinkers, uh, you will always get better. Um, but I think, you know, I gave a talk a number of years ago to Australian coaches, and I honestly believe this. I think that Australian football is the second greatest team sport in the world. Gaelic football is the finest field sport in the world. There's no other sport where you develop endurance, speed, strength, confidence, skill in the exact proportions that you would want a young man or young woman to for for life and to learn you learn about culture you learn about team you learn about success you learn about failure it's the finest field sport in the world and uh i know some of the hurling counties would disagree but i i think that you know i i'm very very uh i don't use the word proud but uh you know humble to have had the opportunity to work to play i think you know the ga is uh not just part of it, it is the fabric of of our society has done so much for us. And I think it needs to be protected. Um, and it, you know, it's only when you see what sport means in other countries where it becomes about money or becomes about entertainment. Like, you I mean, if you look now at the value of it during COVID and why people want to get back to the community and the value that it provides for our young people, that's, that's its role. It's not about making money. It's not, to be honest with you, even with Dublin, it's not about winning trophies. It's about what it, it, the thing that I'm most grateful for during my time with Dublin was to have an opportunity to be with some incredibly great people, you know, the Cluxons, the Connollys, the Coopers, you know, those are just great. Like, you know, in uh, Ger Brennan, like even going back to, you know, even again, getting the opportunity to work with Bernard Dunn again, these are just really, really good, good people. That's the bit that, um, yes, trophies and winning are great, but the people, everyone's a, a credit, uh, you know, to their families and, and, and to, to Dublin, I think, you know, you take the winning aside, uh, I think, you know, I, th I think it's, I think sometimes we just don't, uh, recognize that value enough. Mm -hmm. No, uh, I can see where, like, if you're just there to win trophies, there's only one team can win each year. So how do you measure success if that's if it's just one trophy between you know every team? So you have to have different measurables as well. Then yeah, and I think like I mean going back to to Pete McGrana and you know you look at Pete uh, Miko, um, uh, even you know Jim, 
the ability to produce a team uh, over a number of years that can continue to compete uh, at the highest level, um, you know, Mickey Hart as well, of course. Like, I mean, there's so many of them, but that's, that is the hardest thing to do. Now, I can, or anybody, I, I used to say this, can take any county and drive them hard for three years and, you know, maybe win a, a provincial title or whatever. But to sustain it, that's, that, that's difficult to do, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a very, very challenging thing. I don't think people, you know, really understand, um, you know, the, the dedication. Like, I mean, Jim and I had conversations about, like, the time commitment, <laughs> you know, that it has to be put in keeping people happy, you know, looking out for people and all those things. That's, uh, that, you know, that's a challenge, particularly today. Just um, Fergus, I know we're running out of time here and I've, I've about 30 questions to ask, but look, um, <laughs> I'll, keep it, I'll keep it brief. But, uh, just on the last one about, your, about yourself is, um, out of all the different roles that you've had, um, which one brought out the qualities that you didn't think you had? And like you know, and brought you on as as a person. Oh, good question. Um, I think well, one thing that to me seemed like a disadvantage was always you know moving when opportunities would come up in different sports. Uh, I thought, okay, this is a challenge. So you go to the, start working with the San Francisco 49ers and you're like, you couldn't be any further fish out of water like you're burning literally in the sun talking to some guy from alabama who's looking at you going what do you say like you mean so those are incredibly uncomfortable moments but you know you either make it or you don't and so you figure it out and it humbles you regularly so i think every single um you know opportunity was you know, a great learning moment for me. Now, at the time, it was uncomfortable. It took me it took me a number of years to realize that these were the moments, and I thrive on them now. You know, when I get last week, was group working with a group of entrepreneurs in Florida, way out of my comfort zone again. But and I remember just reminding myself, this is this is a uh, a learning opportunity. You know, enjoy it, and you get excited about it. Um, and I was saying that actually to to them that you that you start to get when you're believe it or not when you're going into difficult challenging opportunities but the role that i enjoyed the most without doubt was was those years with dublin the winning was great but the people um the relationships being able to um even just you know the role being able to help and the you know uh opportunity to you know have those conversations around training and all of those things, influencing everything, you know, or having an, being listened to in the way that Jim managed it. And I, I learned, learned a lot from Jim Galvin, you know, and we're texting just actually on St. Patrick's Day, sent me a text. And uh, again, incredibly grateful, will always be for though. And even when I left, like, I mean, when I was in the States, like, I mean, he reached out to make sure that my family would get tickets to, to games. And even after, you know, um, that's, that's rare. Yeah, you know, very, very true. And, I suppose whenever you know the, the media portrayal of, of Jimmy, just never give nothing away, was it? It was just um, <laughs> he said the same things at every press conference, every question that was asked. You know, it was 
Yeah, yeah was- but I, I think, you know, I think that, uh, you know, the, me- the media have a, the media have a job to do. And I, I think that sometimes when you're successful, it's easy for things to be taken out of context. And, you know, Jim, Jim had a job to do. His job wasn't to write column inches. His job's to win. And, <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, like, you know, he's, and again, you know, he, his time and, you know, he'll tell you, like, you I mean, his, his time in, in the service, like, you I mean, as a pilot, you know, taught him a lot. He learned a lot. Um, a, a really, really good guy. And um, yeah, I, I'm, uh, I was very, very fortunate that our paths crossed, but not just him, like, you I mean, all of those guys and the players to a man, like, you I mean, um, like, you I mean, yeah, you've got some rogues like jack mccaffrey and that like you mean that just great guys to to be around and very very fortunate but again like i told you um you know i'm equally grateful for like i mean like i said i reached out to pete mcgrath to, and he didn't i was a nobody we met in our man he gave me like i don't think two hours and you know, just pestered him again with questions you know like i mean but again i just wanted to uh wanted to learn same with the 49ers like you mean any time that some of the old great players that played under bill walsh were around now same thing this crazy irish guy's got him in the corner he's asking questions what was it like to play for Bill were, you, were you on the, the the netflix series all or nothing with michigan or was that before after your time um i think it was there for for part of it but um again that's like i mean college football then again is a whole other mm-hmm. you know cat, kettle of fish and uh and it's a, and that's that was one of the points that that i made again in australia is that um, and even when Jim came to the States a few years ago, one of the things ju- that I think sport in the States and s- to some degree in Europe is an entertainment business. Mm-hmm. There's no money from the NFL that goes back to grassroots football. There's no money from, or, you know, maybe minimal. And so I always tell people, yes, it's great. It's the pinnacle in one respect from an entertainment business. But the role of the GA in Irish society is completely different. And it's at the fabric of developing young men, women, leadership, all of these things, physical health, mental health. It serves a completely different role. And I, you know, uh, and again, the, the fact that it's amateur and the fact that you have to, to develop, look beyond it. One of the challenges, I, I think it's a problem, actually, not a challenge, is that when you look at college football in the States, it's a business. And there's no uh, pathway for these kids, you know, if they don't make it in the NFL, what are you going to do? And so that's one of the things that I think the GA should be proudest of. And I, and, um, I think its impact on, you know, on Irish society is infinitely great. It doesn't even compare college football, the NFL, NBA. People just don't get it. Like, you I mean, yeah. and sometimes I, I, hope, I hope it never gets to a stage where we would ever take that for granted, you know? Mm-hmm. No, I, I totally understand, and um, you know I'm looking forward to this the JBS book that you're that you're finishing up. Um, <laughs> don't Wednesday. put me on, don't don't put me under pressure. Like you I mean, I got the first draft of it done, but I, I just wanted to. What's it all? Some, some, what's it? What's it? Um, I tell you what happened actually. Um, I was at I was actually at Michigan, and a kid came to an Irish kid visited was at Michigan. Asked could he come and see me? I said sure, come in. We start chatting he, he went back home uh guy called jack tierney and he asked me would you know what i mentor him and and it's the same with you know i get a lot of requests and I, I i try to always help 
have a soft spot for Irish people, of course, but I always try to help. I'll always do my, but I, I said, look, I, I can't really give time. Now, if you want to help me write something, one project that I had in my mind was writing a GA training book, but I don't have the time to. So I'll help, if you want to help me write it together. So we started probably two years ago, putting it together and um, putting together, just explaining, you know, again, how I look at the game, I'm not saying it's the best way or anything, but how I look at the game and the rationale behind it. And, uh, you know, we've got the first draft of it done. Um, probably have to find a publisher. So if anybody's, uh, anybody wants to publish it, let me know. But um, that was, yeah, like, I mean, and I just, again, I haven't had the time. I wouldn't even know where to go. But yeah, I wanted to get, wanted to uh, produce a, a book that would, again, not, it's not a gospel or it's not, this is the way it should be done. This is, here's a perspective on the game. Um, take it show it in the trash, light the fire. I don't, but it might help a few people, you know, think about the game a little bit differently and, and how to, again, as a conversation piece for others to, you know, to step on, you know, just like, like, I mean, like I've done over the years. And the, the other two books, um, you know, you were saying uh, on other shows, not there, about 59 lessons was, was a thank you to the people that you've uh, uh, been influenced by and, um, and it's, it's very good that the, the, the story's not there in it. And I suppose uh, Game Changer then is, uh, it, it's, it, it's a big book. It, it, it's so <laughs> intense. I hope the J one's not like it, but it is Game Changer for me was just uh, something else. You know, the uh, how that you, you even constructed that and, and got that down in paper um, was, was, was fascinating. So, you know, the, the books were, were first class well, yeah game changer the reason i wrote game changer was like coming through even when i was in scottstown i remember like trying to find a book that would tell me about team sport like how to train speed and endurance at the same time or and then uh so you work in you know you work in rugby and you learn a certain amount and you start to see how all these and then you realize that it's not just about one thing so how do i pull it all together and there was no book out there for for me so i wanted to put it together yes i would if i was to write game changer again yes i'd tweak it i'd make it a bit better i've learned a lot since but i wanted to put something out there that just pulled everything together yeah, absolutely fantastic yeah it really is it really and is. 59 lessons were you know because game changer was more technical um i it was more i didn't want people to think that this was you know all my invention it, these were these were all the different people I'd learned things from um, and wanted to thank people like the Clive Woodwards, like you mean, the Jim Gavins, the, the military guys, all these different people that I was fortunate enough to, to learn from. And uh, again, um, I think it was Malcolm X said once, you know, only the mistakes have been mine. Like, I mean, I've learned so much from all of these people. Mm -hmm. um, I, I've, not, I've not invented anything. I've just learned from people and still trying to learn you know um no, so much i, I don't know <laughs> sure it's uh but that's it you know we you, you try your best to come up with processes and structures now but it's only if uh it feels that you learn from it as well isn't it you know that's the it's everyone yeah there. well actually and funny was with a special operations group last week i had this conversation that the outcome you can win and still have performed poorly so you almost have to take the, the result away and look at the performance. Like, what did we do? Because if you play a poor team and you win, you're expected to, but you might not have played well. 
So you have to take the result out, take it away. Doesn't matter whether the operation was a success or a failure. You have to look at, did we do what we're supposed to do? I remember saying to Jim as well, when you come up with your game plan, if the players execute that perfectly and you lose, it's your fault. <laughs> now, if you, come up, if you come up with a game plan and they don't follow it, okay, it might be yours and it might be theirs, but their fault. But you first of all have to come up with the best game plan to win and then help them execute it perfectly. So it, the result is... You know, I, I think I say in 59 lessons, it doesn't matter whether you win or lose. You know, if you want to get better, you have to pull apart. And that was a lesson I actually learned first from Clive Woodward. You know, you have to critically analyze every game with the same detail, whether you win or lose. Otherwise, you're going to start to get carried away with your wins, not see the, the failings. Um, it was, sorry, when, when, uh, and when you lose, you're going to get almost you know you'll spiral out of control and think we've got no success you got to keep that steady hand which again jim galvin was brilliant at uh, it was like a match in heaven no the uh, the one i like is don't buy a dog to bark yourself is uh... that was that was something my father used to say he used to say yeah don't buy a dog and bark yourself like i mean you know you have to learn how to delegate um which again is and this is another lesson that i have to get better at but yeah, you, you have to get um, learn how to um, you know keep improving, and um, you know when you've got people who can do things better. It's the same with me. Like I mean, there are st- far better strength coaches now than than either better speed coaches. Um, like I will mentor them on how to put it together, but they can execute it better than than I can because they're doing it on a daily basis. So you go in and you help tweak things and and help them get better but it's knowing and recognizing that that's that takes time takes maturity brendan fergus thank you so much i can't thank you enough for for um accepting my invitation and not at all i I reached out in hope i think more than (laughs) no 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 like i mean the fact that anyone would want to to listen is um you know uh, hopefully (laughs) hopefully somebody listens but uh no the fact that that you'd be asked again um or i only have experiences and things i've learned that you know it's no god no god god particle no but it's um you know if it inspires someone to get you know reach out to another coach or reach out to another um mentor or anything like that or i think it's you know that's what this series is about um challenging the status quo and just um hopefully making better coaches and, and you know as you say very proud of uh the GA and, and the culture that we have so and you can tell by by what you're saying as well how proud and and um you know it is a special special day uh, yeah and there was a there was a um the, the other team actually like I mean that I learned a lot with as well was um there's a guy John McCluskey who was with our ma way back with um Joe and uh I remember John like John brought me in with Derry way back and uh again and actually Paddy uh Paddy Bradley reached out to me when he few months ago and like i mean that was another incredible learning experience with with those guys paddy bradley like i mean probably one of the best mm-hmm. forwards i ever had the pleasure to to watch and his brother his brother would give you twisted blood like i mean you'd you you, 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 you would have to go and lie down after watching him running like I me mean, just <laughs> so fat but paddy um i one lot one story about paddy i'll never forget this still to this day uh i went up to do it weight session with them and before that maybe two weeks before that i'd given them training programs 
and like in a beautiful red folder and it was like a small folder and everything and of course you know I, I didn't hold out much hope that the guys were doing it and so i get up early get the weight room set up and patty's first one in owen's coming behind him like in early like i mean and i didn't really know patty too well mm-hmm. and so i'd written up on the board this is what you got to do patty looks at me again don't know him too well he goes we're not supposed to be doing the ones in the in the folder and i go okay well if you're doing the one in the folder just do it and i'm thinking He's just trying to be smart ass, you know? <laughs> anyway, he goes down, starts working out, does, does warm up with his brother. Some of the other guys come in and I go down and I'm going in the back of my mind, I'm going, I'm going to show this and show this guy and go down and uh, sitting in the, the working out. And he has this, he has his red folder, which most of the guys didn't. And he had every single weight training session done to a T. He had done every single thing. Like in people, and that's the thing, like, I mean, people, uh, talk about players same with Sean Marty Lockhart like remember uh, he came back and uh, you know he was like he, he was telling me about speed training he was doing on his own the field behind it I hope he didn't like I mean he would wait for he had a bird that there were he would go on the tweet of a bird like that was his way of training his reaction like um, you know you had guys like that that were just really really dedicated and fortunately like won a national league with them and uh or was you know there when they won it but um yeah you, like you mean to get the opportunity to learn like i mean again shomar lockhart was another guy conleth gilligan i would pester those guys for learning the, the, the players taught me more than i taught them over the years yeah conleth was on the show and um, he's he's coaching um Cuckoo with, with mickey Morn. so uh big direct connection there but uh conleth a lovely lovely man and you know he's uh very humble man as well. He was saying about a uh, the confidence wasn't there whenever he was actually lacking in self confidence. But you know the player that he was 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 something else. Like you know it was decision making. Yeah, for, for for not a big guy like you know and uh, and he put in a lot of effort. Um, you know, staying in shape and you know his diet and everything. And he would, uh, you know, he, he was he was proud of you know of of the work that that he would put in. And uh, but they were, those were. Like, I mean, there were some great, uh, like, there were some great footballers on, on that team, some hard men too. But what you find is, whether, I don't care whether it's a Navy SEAL, whether it's an NFL linebacker, uh, rugby player, that these guys all have the same qualities, mm-hmm. all of the same qualities. And um, they have, like, a, a brutal honesty about themselves, a desire to work hard and a, a humility that keeps them in the game for longer that's the same thing like i mean and again you're talking to you get when you get the opportunity to talk to some of these players who you watched as a kid like the the humility that comes through from them is like i mean you know that's the, the strongest the strongest thing and they'll tell you like i mean didn't do a whole pile but i remember watching them yeah. you know mark and canavan and <laughs> stand behind the goals like i mean Barely see over the wire. My father used to say, "Go down, I'll go down, press my nose to the wire, watching what's going off the ball." Like we're talking about Paul Higgins earlier. Like, <laughs> thank God, thank, thank, thank God, there wasn't uh, as many cameras around. <laughs> I'm gonna have to get no. Paul on to see if uh, the, the art of defending and maybe going out of the game. But Fergus, <laughs> thank you so much. As I say, you know, great to talk to you. Um, you know, fascinating story that you have, and and. Good luck with everything and, and 
you know, it's 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 great to see uh, Irishman doing so well um, in the states as well, and, and keep up the good work. Thank you very much for having me.